Please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2. So over the last few weeks, we have been preparing our hearts for Christmas through our Advent sermon series, and today we celebrate Christmas together. So how do you and your family celebrate Christmas? I'm grateful that you have come to church today to celebrate the the birth of the, the King of Kings. But not everyone will be in church today worshiping Jesus. Some will be in church today because of tradition. Some will be in church today because of curiosity. Or some will be in church today because their parents or their spouse dragged them there. I would suspect that these people don't see Christmas through the eyes of of faith as as, um, we will see in our passage this morning. And I'd like to propose to you all today that Christmas really is about faith. Christmas is about faith. And I hope and trust that I'm speaking to people of faith here this morning. And the definition of faith, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, is faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And for most people, Christmas, unfortunately, is the opposite, isn't it? It's about what we can see and not so much about about faith. You know, we can all see and get caught up in the, in the presents. We can get caught up in the, the wrapping paper, the good food, and, of course, the price tags. And that's normal, but we are called to be, we are not called to be normal. We are called to worship what we have not seen. We've been called to worship Jesus Christ as revealed to us in and through His Word. And my challenge for us this year is to remember that what we're doing here is celebrating the King of Kings. We are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, the one who would give us the greatest gift, which is the gift of salvation. Please stand with me as we read our passage. We'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 7 about the birth of Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Father, thank you for this day that we can celebrate the birth of Jesus incarnated in the flesh Help us, Lord, to understand the brevity of this and help us to worship from hearts filled with thankfulness and joy. So, Lord, we pray, please, let your Spirit teach us. Let your Spirit open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the truths that are packed here in this passage. And that you would make us like your Son, Jesus. Make us more like Him today, we ask, for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. 
So in the chapter be, before this, in John chapter 1, sorry, in Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist is born with a grand announcement at the temple in Jerusalem. And he was born to a, a righteous priest that everybody loved and everybody respected. And here in Luke chapter 2, we have the birth of Jesus, which is very different. It's described, even in this narrative, in a completely different way. Jesus' birth was more secluded. His birth was quiet, at least from, from an earthly perspective. And what seems to everyone around Joseph and Mary is that this is just another ordinary couple expecting an ordinary baby who live in an ordinary little town in Judah. But what seems ordinary from a human perspective is actually very extraordinary. And appearances are deceiving. And what seemed mundane from an earthly perspective caused all of heaven to turn up and to sing. And like I said earlier, Christmas is about faith. It's not about sight. And what we see on the outside can be very deceiving. And faith makes us sure of unseen things which we know about only through the through the divine word. I wonder, have you ever found yourself asking God this question? Why are these trials happening to me? Right now, I don't see anything good in my circumstances, and I, and I don't see anything good that can come out of these circumstances. I don't see what, what you are doing. I don't see how your will will be accomplished. I'm not happy. I'm I'm lonely. I even feel hopeless. I don't want to be here. I don't see the point of all of this. What are these circumstances all about? Have you ever been there? Ever asked those kinds of, of questions? Well, God's waiting to speak to you right here in, in Luke chapter 2 about our faith and about sight. I want you to see three things as we walk through this passage together. Our first point is in verse 1 to 3. God rules the world. God rules the world. Look at your Bibles in verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And as we begin the narrative, the birth narrative of our Lord, it's important to look back briefly in order to get an idea of what, is, of what God is doing here in this place. It was a well-known fact in Jewish tradition that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. It was prophesied. And the problem is that Mary and Joseph don't live in Bethlehem, but in Nazareth of Galilee, and I'm sure that Mary, being a good Bible student, would have known this bit of information, and she probably studied the events surrounding the birth of the Messiah, especially carefully given her immediate circumstance. She may have wondered, how in the world is God going to do this? How in the world is God going to pull this off? How will Jesus be born in Bethlehem when we live so far away in Nazareth. Then one day Joseph comes home from the work and he tells her of a new census put together by the, the emperor in which 
everyone must go to the, the, the city of origin to be counted and to pay a tax. And of course, it must have hit her. God is at work. God is the reason for this. So how is God going to get the family to Bethlehem at just the right time? There was another issue I'm sure she was thinking about, contemplating. How was he going to get them there in time for her to give birth to this child that would fulfill Old Testament prophecy? And God shows his power over a pagan ruler in our passage. And God rules over men. He uses even evil men to do his will. They do his bidding. And the decree comes from Caesar Augustus, better known as Octavian, who ruled alone from 27 BC to about AD 14. And the administrator of the census was Curianus. However, God's hand was at work guiding these different rulers. And we see here in our passage how God controls all events at all times to bring about His perfect will. And I think maybe for some of you sitting here today, that may be a new concept. To think that God uses unsaved, evil, pagan people who, who worship other gods to do what the true God once accomplished. And God placed it into the mind of Caesar Augustus to, to take a census at just the right time when Mary was nine months pregnant. Not when she was six months pregnant, not when she was three months pregnant, at the right time, when she was nine months pregnant. God also had Mary and Joseph to be descendants of King David, whose city was Bethlehem. Everything, everything is working according to God's sovereign decree. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. This is the fullness of time. This was the time that God had planned for the birth of Jesus to happen. Let me humbly suggest to you this morning that many of us need to remember that right now, all over the world, especially right here in the UAE, God rules and He reigns. And the most powerful people are pawns in the, the hands of our sovereign God. We do not need to fear. We do not need to be anxious. God rules the world. God reigns. And secondly, we see in verse 4 and 5, not only does He rule the world, but He rules individuals. He is sovereign over individuals. Look at verse 4 in your Bible. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Look at verse 5. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now Joseph and Mary are both descendants of King David. Both of them have to go to their homeland in Bethlehem. By this time, most theologians believe Joseph and Mary have been married, and they are now husband and wife. Luke uses the term betrothed to, to indicate that, 
they had still not had intimate relationships and they still wouldn't be together physically until Jesus was born. And some believe Mary could have remained at home and that Joseph could have registered her for the census. However, I believe it was the Micah prophecy together with the census that caused Mary to make this hard 193-kilometer journey, nine months pregnant. Perhaps it was also the fact that she was very far along and Joseph knew that she was about to give birth and he didn't want to leave her on her own. Perhaps another factor was maybe the people back home who were gossiping about Mary back in, in Nazareth who saw her pregnancy as a, as a scandal that made Joseph bring her with him. Or maybe it was all of the above. We don't really know. But what is important is for us to understand that God's power over events is big enough to affect nations and even the world and also powerful enough to affect the acts of individuals as well. To affect the acts of individuals as well. Joseph and Mary went up to Bethlehem because there was a census indirectly. They went up to Bethlehem because God wanted them in Bethlehem, which was King David's city. Now, Bethlehem is David's city. Most people get that wrong. They think Jerusalem is David's city. It's not. Bethlehem is David's city. It was in this town that David was born, and it was in this town that David tended the sheep. And everyone from David's line had to make this trip to Bethlehem to be counted and to be registered in this census. And God sovereignly directs Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem to fulfill this Old Testament prophecy that I was talking about in Micah concerning the Messiah. Now, please turn with me to Micah chapter 5 in the Old Testament. It's a minor prophet because it's small in size. So I hope you can find it. Micah chapter 5. Let me show you this prophecy very clearly prophesying the birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem. Micah 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Now, this passage is not referring to King David because by this time, King David had already died uh, by the time that Micah had written this prophecy. And Micah's king was off in the future. That, he's talking about a future king somewhere. Micah's king, the Messiah, was still to come. This prophecy is about King Jesus, who would be born in Bethlehem. If Jesus was born anywhere else other than Bethlehem, he would not, he could not have been the promised Messiah. Micah the prophet prophesied here in verse 2 that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And as we read the account of Jesus' birth, we see clearly God's sovereign hand in the lives of men orchestrating his glorious story. And you know, you may be wondering, Lord, 
Why do you have me where you have me now? I don't want to be here. I want to be someplace else. I don't know how you're going to get me from, from here to, to where I, I want to be. And God has no problems getting Joseph and Mary from where they were to where they needed to be. Now, where you are right now in the UAE may be exactly where you need to be. Consider that for a moment. Or it may be, of course, somewhere else. But you need to make sure that this is God's will and not your own. Has God brought you here? Is God keeping you here? Does God want you to be here? If you can be assured of this, God can get you where he needs you to be. It's no problem for him. If he has to use a Roman emperor to do it, that's fine. By him, God can get where you need to be. He got Jesus where he needed to be. He got Joseph and Mary where they needed to be. It wasn't a problem for God. He could use the most powerful empire on earth to do his bidding. God is sovereign over all of us. God is sovereign over all of our circumstances. God is sovereign over our, our lives. Our lives are in His hands. And we can trust Him with it. God is in control. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 9 tells us, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. That's why we need to be praying for God's will. Praying that He will establish our steps. It's not wrong to plan we need to make sure our planning is according to God's will and not our will. He needs to establish our steps. Thirdly, we see God rules the details. God rules the world. God rules individuals. But He also rules the details. Isn't the method of Jesus' birth amazing in this passage? I mean, look at verse 6 and 7. In it, we have a, a window into the very heart of God there in verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him where? In a manger. Because there was no place for them in the inn. There was no place for them in the inn. Luke simply said that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. It seems a little bit innocuous. It's a little bit short, isn't it? I mean, this is the greatest event of world history, and we're given just one little sentence here. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. There were no angels here. There were no heavenly trumpets. There were no voices from heaven announcing the birth of, of the Son of God. She was alone with Joseph, her betrothed. And far away from family, far away from, from friends when she, when she gave birth. One commentator, he vividly imagines the birth of Jesus. And he says, If we imagine that Jesus was born in a freshly swept county fair stable, we miss the whole point. It was a wretched scandalous. There was sweat and pain and blood and cries as Mary reached up to the heavens for help. The earth was cold and hard. The smell of birth mixed with the stench of manure and acrid straw made a contemptible bouquet. 
trembling carpenter's hands, clumsy with fear, grasp God's son, slippery with blood, the baby's limbs waving helplessly as if falling through space, his face grimacing as he gasped in the cold and his cry pierced the night. In very simple terms, Luke tells us that Jesus was born to a young mother in a very difficult circumstance. Mary held the body of a real human being when she held Jesus. He really was a person. Jesus, the Son of God, was, was not created on Christmas. He was incarnated. He became flesh. He became a person. He was born into our society. Very important for us to understand that. Christmas, we celebrate God becoming flesh. The God of the universe entered our time. He entered our space in, in the person of a, of a little, weak, defenseless baby. Born as every human would be born. Covered with blood. He became one of us so that he could sympathize with us. But more importantly, so that he could save us. So that he could give his body. As an adult, he would grow up to live a perfect life. So that he could die a perfect death. As a sacrifice for our sins. It was necessary that Jesus be fully human. So that he could fully obey God on our behalf. So that he could understand the temptations and the trials that we go through, but yet without sin, and then offer up his body as a sacrifice for us. In order to receive this gift of salvation, our faith has to be in God incarnate. Our faith has to be in what we cannot see. The Son of God who lived the Son of God who died and lives again in true humanity. And Mary wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. In Luke chapter 1, verse 28, Gabriel says to Mary, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And there is no place for them at the inn. In verse 31, chapter 1, the angel continues. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. There will be no end. But there was no place for them in the inn. And they had to lay Jesus in a feeding trough for cattle. They don't go together, do they? They just don't seem to work together. Like I said earlier, Christmas is about faith. It's not about our sight, what we see and what we understand. 
what we see on the outside can be very deceiving. Faith makes us sure of what we cannot see, which we know about only through the divine word, what has been recorded for us here in the scriptures. Mary had faith. She trusted the word of God brought to her by Gabriel. As pregnant as she was, and even as far away as she was from Bethlehem in this little town of Nazareth, she believed the word of God. And by faith persevered. And by faith got on that donkey, knowing she needed to give birth in Bethlehem. Imagine traveling 193 kilometers on a donkey, pregnant, nine months. When your circumstances seem to contradict the promises and the comfort of of God's word, remember the Christmas story. Remember that God is sovereign over the world. God is sovereign over individuals. God is sovereign over the details. You know, there are a lot of you who think that your circumstances show that that God's promises can't be true. 2,000 years before that thought ever entered into your head, God has already shown you these two believers, Mary and Joseph, who you wouldn't wish the circumstances of their lives on your worst enemy. And those circumstances did not contradict the truth, and they did not contradict the power of His great promise. That he will be born to save people from their sins. No, he was not going to display the power of his promise in the midst of delightful, comfortable circumstances. God was going to display the power of his promise in the worst circumstances that you can imagine. Even your circumstances. Some of you think that circumstances can can ruin your life. And some of you think that your circumstances have already ruined your life. But circumstances can't ruin your life. Unconfessed sin can ruin your life when you're not willing to respond in humility to the one who is the sovereign king of this universe, to the one who has allowed the circumstances in your life for a reason, to build you, to strengthen you, to equip you, to make you more like His Son. There's a reason. In this passage, God is saying to all of us, there is no circumstance where my power cannot be displayed. Can I say that again? God is saying to all of us right now, there is no circumstance where my power cannot be displayed. Even if you cannot See it. God is saying to all of us, trust me. Believe me. And when we start asking these questions, why? And they start bouncing around in the inside of our head. You know, add another question to the why. Lord, how can I glorify you in this trial? How can I glorify you in this? I can't see what you're doing. I don't understand what you're doing, but I know that you want me 
to know you more. And that you want me to love you more. And that you want me to glorify you more. So in this trial, in this circumstance, how can I glorify you? How can I glorify you? And Lord, in this, whether I'm the victim of a, of a grievous wrong, or whether I'm the, the perpetrator of this grievous wrong, show me my sin. Show me where I need to change and repent. I know you want me to trust you more, Lord. I know you want me to rely on you more. I know that you want me to know the necessity of the gospel more. I know you want me to know my need for mercy, for grace. So in the midst of the place that you have me now, this place that I don't want to be, this place that I, I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, help me to love you more. And then don't stop there. Ask the Lord to show you the Savior, the Savior that you can't see in the trials and the fogginess of your circumstances. Ask the Lord to show you the Savior, show you the gospel of grace where you are right now. Aren't you glad that people who saw and heard angels have to do the same thing that you and I have to do? We must believe God's word when all the circumstances don't make sense. We must be sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And when we do, His power is displayed in our weakness. And James tells us in his book to consider it pure joy when we fall into trials because of the testing of our faith. God doesn't promise us comfort, folks. If you're believing that teaching, you're believing a lie. God doesn't prof promise us health. He doesn't prof promise us perfect prosperity. He doesn't promise us financial stability. He promises us grace. He promises us mercy. He will take care of us through these trials if we are believing His Word and trusting His Word and living according to His Word. Consider the trials pure joy. Think of the joy Mary experienced as she saw her son grow up as the fogginess of her circumstances started to clear as she was able with perfect vision at the end, perfect 20-20 vision to look back and see the promises fulfilled that she didn't understand her whole life. God has a purpose for us. God has a plan for all of us. Trust the one who is in control of the world. Trust the one who is in control of individuals. And trust the one who is in control of the details of your life. Father, Lord, we don't know what to say at times. And this morning, Lord, we shut our mouths before what you do in our lives and in the lives of those that we love the most. Sometimes we don't have a clue what you're doing. 
We don't see its purpose. We don't see its good. We don't see how it's going to be a blessing. And we don't even like it. It hurts us. Our hearts are crushed under the load of these grievous circumstances. And every single one of us has our own private battle to fight. And sometimes we're sitting around people who know us, but they don't know the battle that we're fighting. But you do, Lord. And we need you. We're so thankful that even Mary and Joseph, even having heard the angels, sat right where we're sitting right now. We have to do what they had to do. We have to trust you. So Lord, please help our unbelief. Forgive us for our unbelief. Help us to trust you even when we can't see. Help us to trust your word even when it doesn't make sense. Help us to obey your word even when we don't want to. Please, Lord, help us remember the Christmas story. Give us the grace to do it this Christmas. That you may be exalted in our homes. You may be exalted in our lives. You may be exalted here in our companies that we work for, in the schools that we are at. We pray that you'll be exalted here in our church. And this year, Lord, we would live for you like you lived and died for us unashamed. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.